Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. I'm a feminist, but in the middle of the Guilty Feminist tour around Australia and New Zealand, I got so tired, I watched Don Draper's Guide to Kissing on YouTube, (laughs) which is a montage of Don Draper kissing people. (laughs) In the airport lounge without headphones. I really recommend it. I mean, probably should put headphones in. I just didn't have any. What did it sound like for everyone else? (laughs) Oh, there's a little bit of music over it. It's not just all sounds. um, If anyone asks, I'm just going to say it's a thing about octopuses (laughs) peeling themselves off a wall. I would very happily said to anybody, I'm watching John Draper kiss people. Oh, fine. Mm. And I'm imagining I'm in it. (laughs) (laughs) Quick, stop talking about this. I'm a feminist, but I don't know how to spell shepherd. <laughs> you do one. Shepherd? How is that not feminist? Well, I think that in it, if you claim to be a woman who you want taken seriously for her intellect amongst various other things, you should know that. I've been educated to degree level. It was during some temp work shortly after graduating with a 2-1 law degree from LSE (laughs) that the woman employing me said, you've spelt shepherd wrong. (laughs) And I said, oh, God, I'm so sorry. That's really embarrassing. And then I had, amongst her other notes, I did a redraft of the thing for her. It was a Mm. paralegal temp job. Mm. And I gave it back and she said, thanks for making those changes. And you still spent... She's incredulous. I, remember, I just remember this woman... I remember this incredible, powerful woman standing in front of me for a second time. And this time I said, do you not know how to spell shepherd? What? Was this a legal case suing a shepherd? It was a surname. Oh, no, that... No, that makes more sense. I was just um, suddenly imagining this big litigious case that the classic the sheep smuggling uh, run affair of tw- 2005. I'm a feminist, but when I saw Justin Trudeau in his Clark Kent Superman Halloween costume, I imagined myself dangling off a building for a full ten minutes, and it was only later that I realised I could have been Lois Lane. Because she's very powerful, isn't she? She's very feisty. She stands up to him. That's not who I imagined I was. I imagined I was being saved. Yeah. Like a helpless building dangler. It would have been... (laughs) Why wasn't I sassy Lois Lane, like, sassing him and being all like, whatever, Clark Kent. It would have been more feminist just to see the picture and knock one out. (laughs) You two, hun. You laugh, but I'm fired. 
Um, <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I've got an item of makeup I feel emotionally positive about. I feel emotionally positive about all my makeup. Do you? Mm. And I feel very, that's a very oh, I think feminist this is act. one of the ways in which I'm getting my feminism wrong. Um, <laughs> what is that article of makeup? It's blusher that looks like nail varnish. I basically, I am. Um, Are you don't sure care. it's not nail varnish? I don't care about. I don't. But you just so, put on your to put it in context. I don't care. I don't care about uh, makeup. But if you just say to me, "Oh, you lost your makeup bag," happens about once every two to three weeks because it's it's a plastic bag uh, with some makeup in it. I. I think that's very feminine. I feel like that's feminist to me. Like, I, I use it, I understand why, I understand that I feel a bit more confident in certain scenarios with it on. I couldn't, you know, in terms of how many fucks I give, n- none. And I feel that nicely happy and feminist about that. But I love this bit, this one item. So it's a small vial, it looks just like nail varnish, and it, I don't think it's even very good. It makes my... Um, it, it's not what it does to my face. I think it just makes my cheeks look sweaty. But, but it's just, I think if I was dressed as a... cleanliness yeah, of it... No, 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 no. It's, what it, it's that it looks like nail varnish. I think ultimately, if I was dressed as a fairy and, you, and I had it on, you'd go, oh, they look glittery cheeks. But it, I was, when I'm just it's dressed... It's like festival makeup. Not on most days when I'm dressed as a mortal. Um, <laughs> I think it just makes me look like I've got sweaty cheeks. Is that the fashion? You I, would know. It's maybe real good. Oh, I want to look like a fresh out of a sweaty now? engagement. Have yes, you... I put it on so I could talk about it. I can't see anything, honestly, Jess. I don't... I feel terrible. I want to say your cheeks look sweaty and I can't see it. I just don't know. Pointless, don't then. Know. No. But what I like about it... <laughs> what I like about it is... You get it out in public and stick it on your face and everyone's like... Oh, don't put nail varnish on your Someone over there's putting nail varnish on their face! Oh, <laughs> and that's see. fun. That's a lot so of fun. So it's a trick. Yeah, maker. and that's bonded me to it. No, I do see that. I do see that. Yeah. I'm a feminist, but I invented a game Ooh. that's for long car trips oh, that I really should not teach you, but I'm going to teach you because it's really fun. <laughs> so I set up a scenario. So Jess... Yeah. You're single. You've been single for a couple of years. I said, you know what, Jess, why don't we go to Paris for the weekend? And we're just going to have a really lovely girls' time in Paris. And we check into this fantastic hotel. And we have a couple of glasses of champagne. And we say, let's go out into the night. So we go out to a jazz club. And they say there's a cover, but they say, no, 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 not for you. You're beautiful... Mademoiselle, uh, you and your friend, you know, of course you come in for free and we have a beautiful table for you, VIP. And mm. they take you over to this VIP table and there Do we are. Do they say, if you don't like jazz, don't worry, we'll let just you talk over it. Yes. <laughs> yes, they do. Perfect. But it's a really kind of cool hip oh, cool. jazz. Oh, um, it's why? like Silencio, Silencio, the, oh, the cool. David Lynch club. Mm. We're having an amazing conversation. And then we look over into the corner and... Both John Stewart and John Oliver are sitting in the corner of this club and they're having this great conversation and they're clearly both, and I mean, it was all been in the press how both of them are single and um, they're just clearly out for the same sort of time. And uh, we're like laughing, going, oh my God, it's John Stewart and John Oliver. And then they look over and they're laughing and they're going, oh my God, it's the two from The Guilty Feminist. And uh, <laughs> looking, looking. And then they send a note over to our table and they say, would you like to join us? for champagne and now you have to say which one you want at the count of three we have to say it exactly the same at the count of three at the count of three you have to say it exactly the same time the name of the man that you want okay 
One, two, three. John, John Stewart. Stewart. Oh. <laughs> so now we're going to argue over... <laughs> it's a compatibility game to see if you I would... feel totally like... I feel like I've been allowed to play the crystal maze. Yeah. Or like... It's I've, a great I've game. had the helmet on in Nightmare. I feel it's... like my life's just changed through a... Like, it's a I've never game. done hypnotism as therapy. Yeah. But I feel like I have now. I, I'm going to buy you a badge for longest... Feminist I'm a feminist, but even though it will make me misprioritize and have very low moments and patches of obsession, I've bought some new bathroom scales. In Cheerio News, the packaging was a square, shallow cardboard box, which immediately inspired me to get a takeaway pizza. Hey. <laughs> Live from King's Place in London, the Spontaneity Shop presents the with Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Jessica Foster Q, and very special guest Rosie Wilby, talking about monogamy. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. You've so, learned that now, haven't you? Yeah, I've known it for a long time, to be honest. I mean, I just, I do look down because I sort of, it's there. It's I think you should like get a, it as a tattoo. <laughs> that would be a very painful tattoo. Get it in Klingon or something. All of your ideas are bad. And that's... Uh, I'm just... Uh, no, where would I get that? Is it, a lower, is it a lower back one? Is it that? I don't know. I, I am the last person left without a tattoo. Well, I'm the second oh, last. It just us? Case. Yeah, it's just us. Oh. Just give us a cheer if you've got a tattoo. Give us a cheer if you do not have a tattoo. No, more people don't have tattoos. That's oh That's science. That's, that's science. That's statistics, that is. <laughs> Listen, that's a good sample. I reckon we're a good sample. I reckon we might have more tattoos than the average audience. Because mm. we're an audience of rebels. The thing is, I don't think you need to be that rebellious to have a tattoo now. It's a bit like smoking. There'll always be an element of cool and rebellion to yeah, it. Yeah, but the thing is, smoking's delicious. <laughs> like, I gave up smoking in 2013, and if it gives you an idea of how much I miss it... I gave up smoking on the 18th of April, 2013. <laughs> wow. At 23.23. Do you still miss it? 100 hours. Yeah, I mean, to the point where I ponce a tab wherever I possibly can. You ponce a tab? What does Sometimes, that mean? It means I borrow. Oh, do you? But that's not giving up smoking of tobacco. It is. It's not that often that I do that. You said whenever you can. And that's, <laughs> that would well, be dating. I can't that often, which is a damning indictment of my social life. Right, 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 right. Yeah, well, that's because you can't... I am very anymore. choosy. You've There's got a, baby a particular now. brand of Roly that I love. And it has to be that, and it has to be very fresh tobacco. Basically, I, it's very rare that I'm in a situation where someone's got one of those. I for enjoy- me. Uh, <laughs> I enjoy menthol. Mm, no, thank you. We will never fight over either... No, tattoos or tabs. Please welcome to the stage, Jessica Oscar! <laughs> the new thing in town, guys, is polyamory. <laughs> I got that far into my set last night and someone from the audience shouted, Show off! <laughs> Which yeah, I think speaks volumes about the confines for some of monogamy. Um, my partner and I are monogamous. I think that makes it sound like we've only got one leg <laughs> uh, that we have to share. No wonder people feel limited fucking hopping all the time to all the same things. 
Monogamy is hard. Not as hard as sharing one leg uh, with someone, but it is hard. I think you have to make a huge effort and keep taking on new challenges together, I think. My boyfriend is my rock. Some days, I like to throw him in the sea. Um, (laughs) I've been with my partner for ages, and I think that's all relative, isn't it? What does that mean, ages? One man's ten years is another woman's three weeks. Um, uh, It depends how you feel. I think, as a rule, your relationship is long-term if you do any of the following. Uh, Talk about food together at least once a day. You're exempt from that if either of you is a chef. The sound of their sleeping and or eating disgusts you. (laughs) Or, finally, if they're the first person you tell gleefully when you shit yourself. (laughs) But as a rule, (laughs) relationships start in a way and end in another or go on to become another. I have a story with an ex which I think perfectly summarises what changes over time in a relationship, I think. When him and I got together, it was so romantic. We had been going out of our way to end up in the same places, I think, spending a lot of time together, hanging out a lot together. I knew I was pretty keenly into him. I wasn't sure how fast he was. And we were out drinking one night, having a wicked time, one of those nights where you're very sort of intimate in conversation, totally enwrapped in it, lots of laughter. And at one point, and this is back when I smoked, this is a long time ago, oh, meddy days. Um, <laughs> no, I, I said, I'm going to pop outside for a cigarette. And he said, I'm going to come with you. Um, that's not my, that's what a man sounds like. Well, he says, he just, I mean, if any of you sort of are my friend, you'll know exactly who I mean. That's how he talks. He said, um, I'll come with you. I could do with a kiss. I know, and he did come outside with me. I didn't have a cigarette because instead this is our first kiss. And that went on to be a very wonderful relationship, briefly. Um, <laughs> and I, I, think this, uh, I think this sums up everything. Merely a year into that relationship, I was telling that story with close friends about our lovely romantic beginning of us getting together. And he, just without a second's thought, went, no, that's not what I said. I said, I'll come with you. I could do with a piss. <laughs> and I'm sure he did, but you hear what you want to hear. <laughs> when you're falling in love, I think. I feel totally happy and at ease with a world where people have open relationships. And I think, honestly, it does best suit loads of people. But I do believe that my nurture has moulded me into someone too fragile for polyamory for now. And I think security is the upside and downside of monogamy because it comes with a sense of territory and dependency. I have never been that sort of worried um, or felt insecure with my partner. But in the days after having my kid... It's a sort of very strange chemical, hormonal kind of... It's like being on another planet for a few days, a few weeks. And I had a recurring nightmare that we split up and that I was left with this baby. And it was because for the first and only time, I was genuinely... I needed him, brutally dependent on him. And for me, that was a horrible feeling. (laughs) Horrible. Um, You'll be pleased to know it passed. Um, And... uh, (laughs) He's equally as mental. Once he honestly got jealous of a cat. (laughs) 
I was cuddling the cat, like stroking it. And I went, oh, lovely boy to the cat. <laughs> He's a grown man. Went, and this is the other thing, I think, when the longer you're in relationships, you realise that sometimes perception is an odd thing. We're, it's like we're on different planets. I was cuddling the cat and I went, oh, lovely boy. And he honestly went, oh, oh I thought you only called me that. Lovely boy. <laughs> I think that's insane. Um, and he thinks that's reasonable. Um, to be fair to him, it was a fucking fit cat. <laughs> I said that I think we give ourselves new challenges and that's how we're, we're really happy together still at the moment. But also, we have some good conversations. I said to him a while ago, if we do end up together until, like, we, you know, we're dead and this is it, this is our last relationship, is there nothing that you'd miss? Like, if you were to have... You know, you never get to do anything with anyone else again. And he went, no. And I was like, is there nothing, though, if, like, you know... <laughs> yeah, imagine that. You're not going to get to do anything with anyone else. Surely there's something like that. And he was like, I haven't really thought about it. And I was like, come on! <laughs> Tell me! Come on, there's got to be something! Come on, hurt me! <laughs> As you do. <laughs> and he went, no, all right, yeah, oh, I don't know. Uh, I suppose tits, I suppose the idea of, quite like the idea of having to, some boobies in front of me, I suppose, other boobies, I suppose. And I was like, well, I'm sure that eventually, if we are together for life, in our lifetimes, the technology will be available for me to have a sort of selection of tits, like a virtual revolving tit shelf. I'm not opposed to that, actually. I do that happily. I have different knockers for different days. Quite, I think that'd be fun for me too. And it, he, it's just how much of a dweeb he is. He said, well, actually, probably is, um, technology's probably available now if you wanted to, in terms of like how they're doing like, um, things like cloning and stuff like that. If you wanted, you could grow like, a new pair of tits on your back. <laughs> and um, I have agreed, when it's easy and cheap and available, to have 18 pairs of tits on my back. <laughs> like a sort of sexy human porcupine. <laughs> Or, if you will, a norcupine. <laughs> and he said, and, um, if you want, um, I'll grow like loads of other dicks on my back. And I went, um, <laughs> I am. Um, my friend, a brilliant comedian called Elf Lyons, has written very eloquently about her polyamorous life in a way that's super clear, inspiring, and so positive. But in my current situation, despite all the tales of snogs and wonder and open-hearted bliss, the sentence I picked out in an article that she, where she wrote about this is the bit where she says she developed the CEO-worthy skills in multitasking. I've got a toddler and a really complicated job that never stops. Seriously? <laughs> I'm already fucking spent. Um, I think that's my angle. Later on, she explains in a funny way how it's not seedy or swinging, but there's this line that headbutts me in it. She says it's like having a normal relationship set with more time management. Are you having a laugh? <laughs> 
this is what it would be like in my house at the moment. Darling, um, what's happening again later? I told you already, I told you. I've got our interview at four and it might not be finished till six. So then I'm, so hang on, is he in nursery? Um, oh, well, he's actually he's only in there from nine till 12 while I write that stuff about trampolines and then that other stuff about all of perception. And then I've got to Skype my therapist and then if he naps and I'll write that treatment and then actually I'll just ask him about tonight. Yeah, all right, well, this is as much for me as it is for you. Okay, um, so do I need to leave work at five and then uh, Sarah's coming over to sit, is she? Yeah, yeah, Sarah's coming over. Is that Sarah from the app? No, that's Sarah from Tittle Tots. Is that Sarah P or Sarah F? It's a blonde one, not a black one. Okay, got it, right. Okay, so um, when do I need to be home? I said you need to be up by seven, do you remember? Um, and I don't know when I'll be home, but before midnight. Is that okay? Yeah, of course, that's cool. Have a lovely day, please. Uh, no, you have a lovely day, please, more like... Oh, before I forget, um, if I do get a spare ten minutes in the middle of all that, do you mind if I get Sally round and get off with her? <laughs> oh, yeah, tuck in. <laughs> My point is, as I understand it, I think for polyamory to work, you need all the cards on the table, from the off. And my table is already piled up to the brim with notes, computers, diaries, wet wipes, kitchen roll, bibs, jigsaws, receipts, three copies of Going on a Bear Hunt, it's birthday season, um, <laughs> and massive, empty bottle of gin. Um, <laughs> There isn't any room for any sexy cards. Uh, anyway, this article is great, by the way. It's in The Guardian. Please look it up. It's on their website. It's called In Praise of Polyamory. And as much as I am being silly about it, it's very eye-opening and because it's made her way more confident and she's found her people, it sounds like, and it's been truly empowering and awakening. And I don't know if they've made the ads relevant in the article, but for a piece about having multiple partners when I last read it today the video ad on there was for I believe gel which is for the treatment of pulled muscles from overexertion <laughs> um, so <laughs> to last night's heckler who shouted show offs I say actually yeah fair point yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis Wise. <laughs> Monogamy is an odd concept, isn't it, really? It's a really odd thing, because obviously we would all like to have sex with multiple partners. Monogamy is the price we pay because we cannot bear the idea of our partner having a good time without us. We are enraged. We would rather never have a good time ourselves because we are so enraged with the idea of them having fun and us not being in the room. That is basically the deal. Isn't that odd? Rather than just saying, well, I'll have a good time and you also have a good time. And then we'll meet back and we'll have a good time together. You know when sometimes your partner, you'll go, oh, what did you do today? And you go, oh, I wandered down the South Bank and, um, yeah, after I got off early and, um, oh, and I bumped into Joe. And, uh, yeah, you bumped into Joe? Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, what did, what did you do? Oh, we went to Oaxaca. I love Oaxaca. <laughs> you know I love Oaxaca. You went to Oaxaca without me. Yeah, well, you weren't there. Yes, exactly. I wasn't there. You should go to Oaxaca without me. What? So I have to go to a bad place. Like, uh, you don't get Oaxaca if I don't have Oaxaca. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, but I just don't think you should go to Oaxaca without me. That's our thing. That's our thing. You go to Oaxaca. What did you have? Oh, I had the, um, like, the sweet potato burritos. The sweet potato burritos. You know they're my favourite. You know I love the sweet potato burritos. You know I always have them. Yeah, but I always have them too. Yes, you, well, I, you know I love them. 
had sweet potato burritos at Oaxaca without me. What did you do then? Well, we went back to Joe's place and um, we watched Game of Thrones. <laughs> you watched Game of Thrones without me. What, the new episode? Yeah, I watched the new episode. Again. You watched the new episode of Game of Thrones without me. Well, that's, that's it. It's over. <laughs> uh, I can't believe you would watch the new episode of Game of Thrones without me. That is our thing that we do together. You've just watched it. Well, I'll watch it again with you. That's not the same. <laughs> No, well, I, 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 we can watch it now. No, you've watched it without me. There's no point. I don't want to be watching it while you've already watched it with somebody else. I'll just watch it on my own now. There is absolutely no point in watching something with somebody who's already watched it with somebody else. I cannot believe that you have betrayed our relationship by watching Game of Thrones with Joe. What did you do then? And we had full sex. I love full sex. You know I love full sex. Well, we'll do it again now. No, it's ruined. You mean we weren't there? You weren't there? No, I wasn't there. That's our point. But we do it again. We could do full sex. We could do all of the sex. We could do the, the oral and the other one. <laughs> oh, yeah, you've done it with someone else now. It's ruined. And in only one of those situations, is it okay to go round to your friend's home and cry and you will be comforted for your loss, and that's Game of Thrones. <laughs> Obviously, we all understand that is the modern true infidelity. Honestly, I mean, I honestly think if Tom was away on tour, I mean, there's one night you meet somebody, like, why am I stopping him having a true bit of excitement and pleasure that I can never give him now? Because he's just seen it too many times. Like, there's an excitement about something new. If he's off on tour somewhere else and there's just this one moment to have this sort of recapturing of excitement in you, why am I going to kill that for him? But if I got back from a trip and he was halfway through season two of The Handmaid's Tale, <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> Do you see what I mean, though? That's now we can't share that experience together. But I wasn't there in the hotel room in Vegas. I did once say to Tom, he had a special birthday coming up. And I said, well, we can either rent a house in France. We'll get some friends over. You know, we'll play poker, all the things you'd like, cook. Or we could go to Vegas and have a threesome. And he went, France sounds nice. <laughs> Genuinely, that did happen. I was sort of trying to offer him. I was trying to be like really, you know, like really cool and sexy and, you know, like super chill. And uh, he was like, it's a trap, it's a trap. I was like, it's not a trap, it's not a trap. But I do think a lot of my gay male friends, some of my gay male friends, to be fair, are saddled with the same horrendous monogamy nightmares as the rest of us. But some of my gay male friends have what I like to call monogamy, um, which is an incredible sort of hybrid. It's like emotional monogamy, but they get to have sexual promiscuity within guidelines. And that's absolutely brilliant. I think that sounds like the absolute best of all worlds. Why wouldn't we have that if we could have that? But the gay men who are living this lifestyle. It's like they are living the apotheosis of all humanity. They're just having the best time in the world. And I do understand small liberal pockets in very metropolitan cities, but I really feel it. Like when I go over there to their houses and they've got like this most immaculate white sofa and then they'll say, oh yeah, I'm going to see my baby on the weekend. And you go, what, ba what do you mean, what baby? And they'll go, oh yeah, lesbians had my baby. I would love lesbians to have my baby. <laughs> love lesbians to have my baby and I just visit it once every two weeks that sounds incredible yes please to lesbians having my baby why 
isn't this more of a thing? I don't understand. It feels like after thousands of years of oppression, it's like a reward. It's like God, who has been in the past a horrendous homophobe, if you read holy texts. It's like God has come out really recently and gone, sorry, guys, I know, I know, it was internal self-loathing. Have it all, have it all, have it all. I mean, just think it through, guys. God has lived on his own for many years. He's never had a partner, right? Lived on his own. I say lived on his own. He's lived with two guys called Gabriel and Michael, (laughs) who he calls Angel. I'm just saying. He has one child, IVF. His house is named after a famous gay nightclub. And it has pearly gates. You show me a straight man who says, check out my pearly gates. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. And it feels like, I want to say to God, God, like what is happening here? Everything's great for the guys in these sort of, you know, amazing cities. And God's going, yeah, Mardi Gras. And you're going, but what about the people in other places? And he's like, those places sound boring. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care about those places. Let's go to Sydney. Let's go to Mardi Gras. I don't know why he talks like this. He's come out recently and he's camped it all out. (laughs) Today's guest is an award-winning comedian who has appeared on BBC Radio 4 and at festivals including Glastonbury and Latitude. Her first book, Is Monogamy Dead?, has just been shortlisted for the Diva Literary Awards. Please welcome Rosie Wilby! Hello. So, Rosie. Hello. Hello. Feminism, monogamy, polyamory. Tell us what you know. Well, the thing is, back in 2013, I needed to think about what I was doing for my Edinburgh show, as we do. (laughs) I've got nothing to talk about. And I already had a lovely show in the bag, actually, about feminism, but I thought, (laughs) I was going to go and see a show about feminism. (laughs) That that was the year that Bridget Christie won the main prize. So, so yes, I, um, I decided to follow up a show that I'd done a few years before called The Science of Sex, which was looking at some of the neuroscience behind attraction and dating. And I had started to ponder this question of monogamy and fidelity because some of my friends were having affairs. And then, of course, if you're like friends with two different people in a relationship and you're, you get caught up in this kind of, oh, should yeah. I let the partner know that I think this is going on? And... Um, So I started to think about this and I posed a survey online asking what counts as cheating. And the results, I mean, we've been talking about sex mostly here tonight. And what was really interesting was how for some people, rather than it being a sexual spectrum of Mm. monogamy and like kissing or sleeping with somebody else, although some people, when they did um, tick having sex with someone else, they did specify a location, like in a car. Um, (laughs) What, that constitutes so it, it, it only was cheating if it was sex in a, in a car. I'm not quite sure. Um, <laughs> but, but for some people, um, there was a much more emotional spectrum, like falling yeah. in love with somebody else without any sexual contact. And I particularly wanted to start looking at relationships that women have with other women. I'm mm. a gay woman, and I've always talked very openly about being gay. I sort of looked at the conflicts of that. It's kind of, it's weird kind of being gay and also being 
a feminist because, of course, on the one hand, you kind of want to be lovely and respectful to all other women. But yeah. then on the other hand, there's that animal part of you that, you know, wants to kind of fancy and objectify yeah. your partner and so on. You're quite right about the gay men having all these kind of freedoms and open relationships are really common in that community. Oh, and God damn, I forgot my favourite joke in that. God is clearly not a lesbian because lesbians are now being used as free-range organic baby farms for gay men. <laughs> it's true. Uh. Um, and the, Yeah, so I wanted to see if there was any kind of sexual adventure or misadventure for lesbians in mm. an equivalent sense. So I, uh, for research purposes, <laughs> went along to the lesbian sauna I thought this is just going to be like because the gay men all just like having crazy wild sex in the sauna and you know what's going to happen and all these straight men who like you know I told I was going to the lesbian sauna I thought oh oh, that's going to be amazing and actually (laughs) and actually it was just like women sort of politely chatting and you're very very respectful and uh, oh I wasn't sure we'd do anything Um, and there was even one woman who sort of she made a, a slight attempt at being a bit sort of slatty and sort of pulled down her bikini top to rest under her breasts and then sort of felt self-conscious about it started folding towels and tidying oh <laughs> so it wasn't even a naked sauna well we was no we were just sort of in little that might have been part of the first in mightn't it It'd be like I, yeah look how tidy right I am. Out in a well-supported I, I way it, and now interesting watch how... these chores be performed <laughs> ah yes maybe it was maybe, maybe yeah. i missed that i went over my head mm. there might have been some like leaning over to once the mm. towel's folded, just lean over and put that down. Yeah. Look at, look at me. <laughs> I could be doing laundry at your house every day. Mm. I don't write. There's a reason I don't write. So I was, particularly, I was particularly interested in looking at female relationships in a broader sense and the emotional connections and friendships we have as well and how important they are. A friend of mine actually uses the term love affair friendships, which yeah. I thought was really interesting and in how we sometimes create different language, particularly for the complex relationships that I think women have with one another but I really wanted to put women's relationships kind of up front because so many books I was reading about the psychology of relationships really had this very heteronormative kind of perspective and disclaimer that says oh same-sex relationships will just work the same and (laughs) so so I just wanted to look at how women sort of interacted and engaged with one another but what's really interesting is I, I actually think from a feminist perspective I think sort of kind of getting rid of these ideas of ownership and so on. I quite like all of that in theory, but I sort of tried loosely being polyamorous, but I was just really terrible at it. And I do get jealous and struggle with all those kind of things. And so... I am actually in a monogamous relationship. But what's really interesting is, because I've got this book called Is Monogamy Dead? Some people assume that I'm telling everyone not to be monogamous, whereas I'm just actually interrogating the concept and say, be honest and respectful and all of that. You've done a TED Talk about it, haven't you? I know, I've done a It's really good. But I got a protest letter from a man, um, (gasps) which I thought I would share with you. Oh, please. Um, Which I think you're... (laughs) You like, I think you like a letter from a man. <sighs> letter from a man. It was delivered to a bookshop, my local bookshop, Hernhill Books, where I was doing a little launch, and he's addressed it to Rosie Wilby, Is Monogamy Dead? Like, that's now my address. <laughs> um, <laughs> where do you live? Do you know Is Monogamy Dead? <laughs> 27B, Is Monogamy Dead? Is Monogamy Dead. <laughs> And he'd posted it through the letterbox of the bookshop where I was going to be appearing later that evening. And he must have done it before they'd opened because no one had seen him and it had just come through the letterbox. And uh, 
He said, um, dear Rosie Wilby, is monogamy dead? Full name. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> it's not just the end of your name. That's and that's, your address. That is my address. And it's, it's interesting how some people are really protective of the mm. idea of monogamy. He says, is monogamy dead? Something tells me that your answer is all too predictable. So I might save my pennies, but what next? Are trees obsolete? <laughs> yes, that's the next obvious. That's the next obvious yeah. question. Yeah. <laughs> Who needs feet? <laughs> Clothes, have they had their day? <laughs> no, but seriously, have you taken into account, have you, he's put in brackets, the oh, fact that monogamous God. marriage is the most lasting and effective form of cohabitation yet discovered? I was monogamously married for 40 years. Our four adult children have all been monogamously married for an average of 20 years and counting. Our 12 grandchildren, not geniuses, but delightfully well-adjusted. <laughs> Oh, oh, God. Oh, what a supportive grandfather. I bet he yeah. says that at Christmas. As far as I'm aware, grandparents all think grandchildren. Yeah, yeah. even your grandfather doesn't think you're a genius. Your grandparents you're have fucked. to. Sorry, continue. They're, they're fun to be with and great to relate to. So are the great majority of our friends who would be surprised oh. to be told that they were dead. Where have you been, Rosie Wilby? <laughs> and what are you missing or trying to prove? But then he signs off, enjoy your visit to Hearn Hill. That's wow. extraordinary. But he's, he admits he hasn't read it. He does admit he hasn't read it. He's, he's just, just assumed... He's angry about the title. That's just... He's made... It, and what's so interesting is monogamy... So it's essentially gone, that's a provocative title. I've been provoked. Yes. <laughs> and I'd like to prove it. That's extraordinary. <laughs> well, it's nice to get letters like that because oh. you can yeah. read them out and make fun Next of them. Next time you write a book, can you give it a title that doesn't make me stop and think at all? <laughs> See, yes. there's not enough books in the yeah. world, and I... But it's Maybe you could write how... a book that says monogamy is excellent the way it is, and yeah. there's no need to talk about it, think about it, or analyse. Maximum or status quo. anyway, just yeah. Everything you already on. knew. Think, things were good when Chris was young, that's what it yeah. should be called. <laughs> things were right and proper when Chris was young, and there's no need to change any of them, or look at how any of them secretly weren't working, but we pretended they were. Shame his grandchildren are morons. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in the future they'll be listening uh, but so, so it's I funny how it's so laden with assumptions though the whole yeah. idea of monogamy he's assumed what mm -hmm. I think about monogamy and yeah. the point is we all make assumptions I mean I asked in my survey you know have you ever even discussed boundaries and monogamy with your partner and 50% of people hadn't even ever discussed what it actually meant really yeah which well, I thought was interesting it is interesting there was a time not very long ago when if you were seen with a man... Well, the mill on the floss. There's a storyline. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but it's been out on the market <laughs> for quite some time. Um, somebody is seen with a man, not her husband, and her reputation is ruined, and that's it. But they didn't do anything. No, they just, just not chaperoned. Other, yeah. There was a time when if you touched somebody, that was a proposition of marriage. So there are all yeah. sorts of things that we do now. Hugging people... Mm kissing people on the cheek, snogging someone at a Christmas party. <laughs> yeah, quick, exactly. That's just quick you. Comes. Quick shag in a mini minor. Yeah. All of those yeah. things that are now sort Only of... Only in know, a mini minor. Yeah, 
that in are a now car, seen I said it. Yeah. 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 Do you know what I mean, though? I sort of think when people say, oh, no, I'm monogamous, you, there was a great thing in your TED talk where you said the original definition of monogamy and what it means now. Oh, yes, because it, well, it originally meant one marriage for life, which comes from the Greek monos gamos. But of course, now we've adapted it to mean Not one, one marriage at a time. But yeah, just the fact that we've changed it, now we think as long as you're with one person at a time, everything's mm. fine. Whereas it used mm. to be not very long ago that it was sort of disgraceful to leave to, to get divorced and so on. Yeah, yes, or absolutely. to just to have a partner yeah. and then go, this has been great for a while. And I think as we see that it's part of the same change towards more liberal attitudes towards sexual preference and gender fluidity. Do you feel like it's part of the same that well, cracking open of minds or just an increased social empathy, a movement for that. But uh, what's really interesting, Jess, is that I've particularly looked at lesbian relationships and gay male relationships as almost like control experiments without yeah. the opposite biological sex around to sort of influence behaviour. And what's weird is lesbians, who you might imagine would kind of ditch all the kind of patriarchal rules, actually are the most monogamous group if yeah. you actually look at sort of sexual activity outside of a relationship but actually by far the most serially monogamous group because right. we tend to rotate partners like it's sort of a revolving door and you know all the jokes about a lesbian sort of having a removals van on a second date there's some truth in that there's always truth in a stereotype so what's really interesting is lesbians actually were craving this variety and incorporating yeah. it in a very very rapid sense of serial monogamy one woman in her 50s had had about a dozen serious relationships right. and that means you've got a lot of exes and yeah. lesbians are also actually i call them the godmothers of conscious uncoupling long before right. gwyneth and all that because we've always stayed friends with exes because it was a small community in the old days and there was no one else to be friends with um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you, so you basically had to keep in with your exes so you had to kind of keep in, your, in with I your exes I love that bit of your TED talk about that as a possibility of a but it, yeah also it meant you grew there, there was some kind of evolutionary benefit to that because you yeah. grew this community and, and a sense of an alternative type of family which was really important to gay people because perhaps your conventional family might not exist for you in the same kind of a way so I think it's really interesting to look at the way um, we've kind of reclaimed families but it's, it's kind of this paradoxical situation where now gay people are kind of maybe adopting marriage and, and so on and, and maybe moving more to the sort of normative I think this thing with female friendship as well is I am as fascinated as you are Rosie yeah. I think that the, an increasing number of people are talking about being something more complicated than straight or gay and, and something more and, complicated and than knowing friends and, yes well that's what I mean and I think sometimes part of the awakening of that that you're on a spectrum rather than a definitively at one end or a, yeah. another is because part of a friendship that becomes an incredibly close friendship you get these moments of intimacy where it is like definitely really charged it's all part of laying the foundations of something that becomes a friendship or something more depending on your circumstances etc but god stuff's so much more complicated than just friends yes yeah. indeed that, that so is often true. is polyamory more feminist because you're more in control of who you are i think there's an argument that polyamory is a really feminist choice and certainly some of the polyamorous women that i've met have been some of the happiest in the situation some of the polyamorous men they're the ones who most try to enforce all the rules like a really common rule that poly men enforce is a one penis policy <laughs> it's brilliant where your female partner can sleep with other women but not other guys um it's just a one pe- i know no it's no, no. So kind of glad that got a hiss <laughs> So, yeah, I think there's certainly an argument for that. But I think 
some of the values of polyamory, whether we incorporate those into a new form of monogamy, as I have done, actually are a more compassionate choice because it's all about communication and respect. And I am monogamous, but I think I'm monogamous in a very different way from mm. how I used to be monogamous in a very threatened kind of way mm. where we'd have all those mm. jealous kind of arguments like, oh, if you ever so much as talk to somebody else, I'll mm. gouge your eyes out with a spoon and... I'll set up a SoundCloud page of just you snoring and, you know... <laughs> you know, you have all those threats of, if you ever do anything, I'll throw all your things in the garden. And it's ridiculous, because all those threats mean that if your partner ever does anything at all, you have got to, you know, act on that. And, <laughs> and it's soundcloud.com slash... Uh, no. <laughs> so I think it's just... I've felt that it has empowered me to think about our terminology, our language around relationships. The poly community invent all this amazing new language. Like, if you do feel you're too busy, Jess, with all your piles <laughs> of your table, if you've got um, you reached your threshold of partners, you can yeah. say that you're polysaturated. Oh. <laughs> Boom. I well, thought, oh, I think we do have to wrap we it do, up now, but I'm sorry for... So, I feel like we could have gone on for ages, but it's just all the more excuse to uh, watch that TED Talk and read Rosie's um, book. Who's our charity? Hello. Um, I'm from Solace Women's Aid and we support 11,000 survivors of domestic and sexual violence in London. So we'd love your support in any way. <laughs> Great. And where do we give online? Oh, at www.solacewomensaid.org. Solacewomensaid.org. Okay, and you're going to stand at the door. Now, listen, you've all paid for your ticket to the show. There's absolutely no obligation to oh. donate. But if you've got a fiver or a tenner or even a pound or 50p, Solace Women's Aid would really, really appreciate it. Uh, if you are listening at home, the podcast is free. If you could chip something in, that would be awesome. Do you have anything to plug? I'm going to be starting a new podcast called The Breakup Monologues, so look out for that coming soon. Elf Lyons is one of my first guests. Oh, yes, please. Hey. Oh, yes. Do you really plug GS? Um, my Twitter is at Jessica Foster Q. Um, I've got a tour of my show, The Silence of the Nans, probably around February, March 2018. And in the new year, look out for a new podcast called Hoovering. It's not about food, it's about eating. Mmm. Yay. <laughs> Uh, and you can also follow us at Guilt Fem Pod or me at Deborah FW. And you can rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, which helps other people find the show. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co host Jessica Fosterkew, and our very special guest, Rosie Wilby. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp, music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Zoe, Jacob, Sally and everyone at King's Place as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. You've died a death in two scenarios. I love it that we're just using his real Um, name. Sorry, but... (laughs) He can't be in these games, I'm sorry. He's not not welcome. Um, Feminism has to have some space for women to be on their own. And by on their own, I mean with other men. And (laughs) I... It is about polyamory, this episode. You are on...